0: Noble savages, savage noblemen, and straw cavemen. Subsistence level hunters aren't necessarily more moral than other people. They just can't get away with selfish behavior because they live in small groups, where almost everything is open to scrutiny. Unquote. Sebastian Younger Tribe. On homecoming and belonging. The characteristic generosity and hospitality of foragers are not fictions concocted by deluded Roisian romantics and patchouli scented hula hoopers. Unpredictable environments generate challenges best met through reciprocal generosity and hospitality. To the extent that quote-unquote savages are noble it's because they evolved in social groups that cultivate and celebrate generous respectful behaviors as a means of risk mitigation and self-preservation if these behaviors have become innate they are as innate to you and me as they are to any savages an illuminating tangent reveals That the phrase noble savage was born of meaningful confusion and bad intentions the confusion apparently arose from the two associated meanings of the word nobility which connotes both exalted behavior and elevated economic class contrary to popular impression Jean-Jacques Rousseau did not originate the phrase he never even used it in his writing. In The Myth of the Noble Savage, historian Ter Ellingson explains that Marc Lescarbot, a French lawyer ethnographer, coined the term in 1609, over a century before Rousseau's birth. Lescarbot described American Indians as truly noble, not having any action but as generous whether we consider their hunting or their employment in the wars, Allenson argues that the nobility of the Indians is associated with moral qualities, such as generosity and proper and fitting behavior. Unquote. He continues, the savages of America occupy a status that corresponds, from legal standpoint, to the nobility of Europe. In other words, Les Carbot saw reflected in the Indians' lives the freedoms, privileges, and responsibilities of the European nobility. Ellingson explains that the phrase virtually disappeared for about 250 years. When it was resurrected in 1859 by John Crawford, a white supremacist who was attempting to become president of the ethnological Society of London. Crawford was disdainful of the emerging anthropological advo- advocacy of universal human rights. He introduced the phrase in a major speech to the society, including the misattribution to Rousseau as a way to ridicule those who sympathized with such less advanced cultures. Unquote, quote, unquote. Quote, Crawford's version, writes Ellingson, becomes the source of every citation of the myth by anthropologists from Lubbock, Tyler, and Boas through the scholars of the late 20th century, A rhetorical cheap shot from the beginning, the noble savage is surely among the longest-lived straw men of all time, still polarizing debate and obstructing nuanced discussion of hunter-gatherer life today. In Cannibals and Kings, anthropologist Marvin Harris explained why Les Carpet may have recognized nobility among the Indians he visited, Quote, In most band and village societies before the evolution of the state, the average human being enjoyed economic and political freedoms, which only a privileged minority enjoy today. Men decided for themselves how long they would work. That particular day, what they worked for, at or if they would work at all. Neither rent, taxes nor tribute kept people from doing what they wanted to do. Men decided for themselves how long they would work on a particular day. What they would work at, if they would work at all, neither rent, taxes, nor tribute kept people from doing what they wanted to do. Such relaxed, unconstrained lives would have been striking to a European accustomed to living in a society in which only nobility enjoyed anything similar. The Indians' wealth measured in freedom and autonomy, was accompanied by what looked like material poverty to a European. Imagine you're a part of a band of 50 or 60 people. Some kids, some old people. Your nomadic band shifts camp regularly. How much stuff do you really want to carry around? If your people use clay pots for cooking, would everyone carry his or her own, clay, clay, own pot? Or would it make more sense to bring a few shared pots? Even the best hunters aren't consistently successful, most of the time any given hunter will return empty-handed. But when a man kills a deer, what's he going to do with it? Will he share it with only his wife and their children? As most evolutionary psychologists claim, not bloody likely. Such selfishness would lead to social upheaval, potential banishment from the band, rotten meat and spoiled friendships. The African villager who told my wife that the, quote, the best place for extra food is in my friend's stomach, unquote, knew his friends would store their extra food in his. When you're living with just enough, as all foragers go by definition, your only insurance policy is the generosity of the people around you. You pay into that policy by being a reliable source of assistance. You pay into that policy by being a reliable source of assistance yourself. In this context, it's no surprise that psychologists have established that one of the best ways to improve your sense of well-being is by helping others. It's part of the human design, an important part that has been essential to the survival of our species. Nothing noble or savage about it. Over the millennia in which we become human, became human, A reputation for generosity was important to a successful, happy life. Marvin Harris explains just how traumatic this shift from the egalitarian autonomy of foraging to the coercive power structures of civilization was for our species. Begin excerpt. With the rise of the state, ordinary men seeking to use nature's bounty, For the first time, there appeared on earth kings, dictators, high priests, emperors, prime ministers, presidents, governors, mayors, generals, admirals, police chiefs, judges, lawyers, and jailers, along with dungeons, jails, penitentiaries, and concentration camps. Under the tutelage of the state, human beings learned from the first time how to bow, grovel, kneel, and kowtow. In many ways, the rise of the state was the descent of the world from freedom to slavery.